Um, if you'd like to turn in the Pew Bibles to page 940, uh, we're reading the book of Habakkuk. And while you're finding your place, uh, just so you should note that Habakkuk was written as a dialogue or a conversation between God and the prophet. This is God's word. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received, Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury. 
and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Amen. If it's convenient for you to have page 940 open, the passage which Jeff read to us, that would be helpful. When I was growing up, I I thought I was pretty well taught in my Christian faith. Some people who weren't well taught would say something like this, God didn't answer my prayer. Because I knew that God always answers prayer. The answer might be yes, it might be no, it might be not yet. Go, no, or slow. But I was taught that God always answers prayer, whether the light be green or red or amber. But looking back and on reading this book of Habakkuk, I'm not sure that I was quite as well taught as I might have been. Looking back, go, no, or slow might have been just too slick. Sometimes the answer might be yes, but not in the way you suppose. Our gracious Lord, as we turn now to your word, it is our genuine prayer that you would enable us to grasp the truth so that in this complex and difficult world in which we live and seek to live faithful lives, we may better understand you and so trust you deeper. And this is our request in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday morning, we began a short series on this little-known Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Whilst ordinarily we're given some information or background to the writer of these prophetic books in the Old Testament, such as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Amos, here we're given no information about the author, nothing. The oracle, verse 1, that Habakkuk the prophet received, that's it. That's all we are told. It's almost as if the issue that consumed this servant of God was so urgent, so compelling, that there's no time for any superfluous conversation. Who cares about idle chit-chat when the situation he finds himself in is so dire? His native Judah is in a precarious place morally and militarily. In the year 1999, I was privileged to visit the Lebanon along with the then moderator of the General Assembly, Dr. John Lockington. And that was at the invitation of the Irish Army, which 85th Battalion was serving at that time with the United Nations. As we walked through the great Hippodrome in Tyre, I remarked to our accompanying brigadier how terrible it was that literally anybody could... uh, Uh, pick up pieces of the second century mosaic in this UNESCO World Heritage Site and pop them 
into their pockets if they so wished. And I'll never forget his reply. I guess the people here have more urgent matters on their minds than ancient artifacts. When you're in survival mode, the urgent becomes the most important issue and other aspects of life less significant. And as we saw last Sunday, the most important issue uh, for the prophet was uh, what on earth he was supposed to communicate when he himself had not received any message from the Lord. It was his job as a prophet to proclaim a message to his people, Judah. But what was it that God wanted him to proclaim within a context of dire need? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? And this, you remember, is not a rant of a belligerent atheist. This is a genuine heart cry from a believer. Faith, seeking understanding. Why is God seemingly not answering my prayer? Why, O oh God, verse 2, why do you make me keep on looking at injustice? Why, O oh Lord, do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, conflict abounds, and you're not saying anything. And maybe these words of this little-known 7th century B.C. prophet Habakkuk actually go straight to the presenting urgent issue which some of you coming to church today feel. You're not an atheist with some great chip upon your shoulder. You're a committed Christian seeking to understand why is it that in spite of my prayers of God, there seems to be so much trouble in this world, so much difficulty in my life, and in the life of those I love, and you don't seem to care. It would appear to me, Lord, that you're not listening, let alone doing anything about it. Well, an answer comes. We see it in verse 5. Look and watch, says the Lord. Look, watch, and be utterly amazed. Because I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. It is not that God hasn't answered Habakkuk's prayer, because God always answers prayer. It's not even that the answer is red, green, or amber. The answer is yes, I'm going to answer your prayer, but not in the way you have in mind. Now, is this not very pertinent? If we're honest, if we were even to think about it for a moment, when we pray to God about something and ask for his help, 
do we not usually have in mind not only the result we would like to have, but we also anticipate the way that God is likely to bring it about? Yes? Oh God, I'd love to have that job. And we don't get that job, so we say, well, God didn't answer that prayer. Or maybe he did. Maybe he said no. Maybe he said it's not right for you to have that job. Or it's not good for you to go in that direction at this moment in time. Or maybe when we pray, please, please God, may I have that job, that really means when I get my interview, I'll be asked easy questions, and the next day they'll phone me up and say, well done, you've landed it. Whereas again, perhaps that's not how God wants to do it. Maybe he wants you first to be declined in order to see how you react to the experience of adversity when everything doesn't go your way. Because storms can draw out something that calm doesn't. To see if when you don't get what you want, if your world falls apart. Identifying that your real desire is to have the gift rather than the giver. Or perhaps, perhaps God wants you to wait for a while. Well, the successful candidate thinks about it for a few days and then declines it for whatever reason, and then the employers come back to you and say, as the reserve candidate, would you still be interested in it? Look, I don't know. I'm only conjecturing. But perhaps in asking God for things, we also anticipate not only what God ought to reply, but also how he ought to do it. And this prophetic oracle of Habakkuk reminds us that God cannot be manipulated. Neither can he be presumed upon because God is not like that. He's God after all. I will do something about your request, he says. I am going to do something in your days, verse 5. But what I'm going to do and the way I'm going to do it will blow your mind Hold on and see. And how is it that he's going to do it? Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. That's what I'm going to do. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth and seize dwelling places not their own. I'm going to use that feared and dreaded people, verse 7, who are a law unto themselves, whose tanks are more advanced than you could ever imagine, their weaponry more deadly than you've ever known. I'm going to use them to answer your prayers about the state of your nation. Yes, I am going to respond, Habakkuk, to your request about what you're going to say to the people, but not in the way you imagine I ought to. Last week we thought about the National Day of Prayer called by His Majesty George VI in 1940. 
conveniently forgotten in recent movies. But an event which graciously brought about the miracle of the Dunkirk landings. But what if in God's sovereignty he had replied, the way I'm going to fulfill my purposes is to use Nazi Germany to conquer these islands. What then? I've heard your prayer. I can see everything that's going on. I will act. And it's going to be through Adolf Hitler. That's basically what God is saying here in response to Habakkuk in chapter 1, verses 5 through to 11. No wonder then that the prophet comes swiftly back to God with a second complaint. Verse 13. If you, Lord, are holy, if your eyes are too pure to look at evil, if you are good, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why, verse 13, are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And we have, to say that sounds like a very appropriate complaint, Habakkuk. It's a very good question. If the prophet's first complaint was concerning what God was seemingly not doing, this second complaint is concerning what God is doing. For in Habakkuk's mind, God's solution makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. How is it possible for evil to be overcome by even more evil? Look at what those awful Babylonians you're proposing to use are like, verses 14 through to 17. They're like enormous great Russian trawlers which draw up alongside our tiny little fishing vessels and scoop up all the fish in the sea into their dirty great dragnets and then depart laughing at our distress. Even as at that time the Chaldeans were using uh, using, were dragging prisoners off to Babylon using fish hooks attached to the lower lips of their captives. So these awful people destroy all around them cruelly while themselves living in absolute luxury. I will look to see what he will say to me, chapter 2, verse 1, and what answer I am going to hear that I'll then be able to pass on that message to my people, Judah. I don't know how you respond to this exchange. But it's not the first time, and it's not the last time that God in his sovereign power permits gross evil to happen in order to bring about his even greater purposes of good. What do I mean? One of the huge privileges I had as moderator was to undertake a presbytery visit to South Armagh this past year and that, there to meet victims and survivors of the Troubles, Cross McGlen, Newry, Keady, Kings Mill. I'm not sure what I anticipated from those who had been maimed and bereaved and brutally traumatized. But what I experienced was by and large a testimony to the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts and minds. 
Nobody, nobody can excuse what took place within that vicinity in those awful years of what we call the Troubles, where there were many acts of pure evil. But one conversation stands out in my mind from a lady who had had a horrible and traumatic experience beyond words, losing her husband in the most dreadful circumstances. And, and yet she said to me, through that experience, every single member of my family have come to a living faith in the Lord Jesus. Is that not amazing? How can evil be used in order to bring about God's purposes of redemption? We find it nearly impossible to get our heads around that. But the story of the Scriptures demonstrate and experience for believers testify that wickedness will not and evil cannot have the final say. Look at the cross. Look at what wicked men did to the Lord Jesus Christ. They scourged him. They mocked him. They nailed him to a tree. But it was as though this ultimate act of barbarity, murdering the one who had made them, threw that away, was opened up. A price was paid. An atonement was made, enabling all who will to put their hope in God as our Heavenly Father in repentance and faith and find everlasting life. Look at the nations and watch, says God in chapter 1, verse 5. Look and watch and be utterly amazed. I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if I were to tell you. I'm going to answer your prayer, Habakkuk, but not in the way you might anticipate. And in doing so, amazingly, astonishingly, my purposes of good will be fulfilled. Now, I don't know. But perhaps just, perhaps in the providence of God, there's somebody's here this morning, maybe more than one for all I know, and you, like the prophet, are puzzled. At this very moment, you're asking why. Why God? Why does the Lord seem to tolerate this wrong? Instead of making things easy for your people, things to be, seem to be made more difficult. Habakkuk chapter 1 tells us that it's okay to ask that question. It's all right to cry out, why? Why? Verse 3, the prophet did. Or again in verse 13, why? Why? Habakkuk cried out why. It's all right to express your heartfelt question to God and to one another. But when you do, when you are faced with these great questions and uncertainties, also do what Habakkuk did. Glance down at verse 12. Hold on to those things about God that you do know. O Lord, verse 12, you are from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, you are eternal. O Lord, verse 12, you are 
holy. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. O Lord, verse 13, you cannot tolerate wrong. In other words, I recognize that you are just. O Lord, verse 12, you are my God. You are my Holy One because you are personal and you are relational. When faced with those things about God that we do not know, let's cope with the uncertainties of life with the things that we do know about God. It's a silly illustration, but let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's say you arrange to meet your spouse at Cafe Nero's at 12 noon. And they don't turn up. You're naturally frustrated, but in your annoyance, you could say, because they haven't turned up, they no longer love me. Or else you could say, perhaps there's a good reason why they haven't turned up. Having no, having lived with your spouse for X number of years, it would be absurd to jump to the worst possible option as the first thought. Instead, in your annoyance and confusion, you hold on to those things you already know about their nature, their character, and their reliability, and hold on to that. To be prepared to wait, to be prepared to trust, to hold on and believe until at last they appear and say, this is the reason why? I wonder if you remember one other time when a servant of the living God cried out, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That moment, it seemed so out of character. At that specific moment, it appeared so strange that God would be absent. And yet at that moment, God was doing something people would not believe, even if they had been told. God was using an even greater evil to crush the one who took our sins on his body. So that in the process, we who deserve nothing but death might instead be granted forgiveness and eternal life. God didn't answer my prayer, we cry. Why? Perhaps God will. Perhaps he'll say yes. Perhaps he'll say no. Maybe he'll say not yet. Or maybe, just maybe, God will say yes. I am indeed in the process of answering your prayer, but in an even more profound way than you could ever know. Shall we pray?
in this moment of quiet, as we take in these biblical truths, I invite you simply to let God, by his Holy Spirit, minister to you. To identify those things that need to be given over to him, surrendered to his sovereign will, realizing that God is eternal, God is holy, God is just, God is my God. He is my Holy One. Our Father God, as we ask the question, why, to the dilemmas of life, Enable us to trust in the one who also cried out why. And yet who through that darkness and pain opened up the way of resurrection life to all who trust. O oh God, these are prayers we make through Christ our Lord. And for his greater glory. Amen. And we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of showing our thanks through these offerings and the other means we use to contribute to your work. Thank you for what we have learnt this morning. We have been reminded that you are doing a work today unseen, and we would not believe it if we were told. Forgive us that we limit you to the boundaries of what we think is possible. Thank you, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Forgive us that we are of little faith and not ready to wait for your timing. That you are of purer eyes than to look on evil. Forgive us that we so easily tolerate sin in our own lives and judge others much more strictly than we judge ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for those you appointed to be our parents, and especially today. Thank you for our mothers. If they are still with us, help us to cherish them more and more. Thank you for enriching us through partnership with believers throughout the world. And thank you for our links with churches in Rwanda. We pray for the visit of Dr. Benini from Rwanda during this holy
Holy Week. And we ask that you will grant him and Jules, his son, a safe travel to us and from us, free from any hassle over visas or other documentation, and strengthen the bonds between Bloomfield and Gilgal Church. Bless too the ministry of Trevor Morrow, who will also preach at our united services. We pray for the continent of Africa and for its people suffering from drought and famine, from war and community unrest, from poverty and disease. We pray for those in authority over them. May they govern in the interests of their people and not just of themselves. We pray for African Christians and the challenges which they face. May their witness to the love and power of the Lord Jesus make a lasting difference to their own communities and far beyond. We pray for Christians in the West where society under the banner of freedom and equality seems bent on destroying the very foundations upon which society is built. Help us to respond with love, care, and compassion, but also truth, courage, and faith. We thank you for the joy which Ben has brought to James and Joanne and to their families. You love us, Lord, and you love our children a covenant love which is demonstrated in baptism. Watch over all our children. May we never be a stumbling block to any of them. Keep them as we have already prayed from all harm, danger, and may they enjoy the fullness of life that is only found in Jesus. We pray for those with special needs. And we mention especially those who mourn the passing of our late sister, Heather, especially for her daughters, Hannah, Lauren, and Emily. And in silent prayer, we bring their needs and the needs of others on our hearts. Hear in highest heaven and answer for your name's sake. Amen.